good to be here with you all this morning. Um, yeah, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today, and I am unusually, like, calm. I think I'm a little worn out. We spent the day at Ikea. I'm pretty sure Ikea roughly translates, what is it, Finnish? Nor- Swedish. I think it translates to, this is just the beginning of your stress. So, so. yeah. All right, let's go, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we just pray that you would just open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, to hear what you have for us in Acts. We thank you for that church. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Lord, went through much and exemplified much. And we just pray that we, you or your Holy Spirit be working in this moment, Lord, and sanctify us and grow us. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if, if you're, uh, you see up there, I have an outline for you. Um, introduction, my aquarium part one. Part one, meaning there's going to be a part two to this when we talk about Acts chapter 5. But I've, I've long had a love for aquatic creatures. Anyone else love the aquatic creatures? Okay, one. One? Okay, uh, a few others, a few others. But I've always been, I've just been fascinated by them. Um, I remember, I, I don't remember when I became enthralled, but I do remember when I was little, I had like, like a, a pickle jar, and I filled it with like rocks and sand and jammed some grass in there and some other things and like sealed it up and put it on the counter and I would just stare at the thing, hoping something would like move in there. And I'm not implying that I'm smart, I'm just implying that I was curious, you know? But if, invariably, um, when I was little, and even to this day, when I go over to a body of water or see a stream, I want to see, is there anything teeming in there? What's living in there? And so one of my, one of my, best, one of my best weekends in recent memory is at my um, mother-in-law's house, and she has a stream. And well, one day, the girls and I, my, my daughters and I, we, we caught some guppies, and that was great. But then, but then, I lifted up some rocks. There were crayfish. We caught a frog, even. I mean, the variety. So not only do I like aquatic life, I really love the variety of aquatic life. In fact, uh, one of the things that kind of annoys me, like Cornerstone, has, Cornerstone University has this beautiful, beautiful new science center. It's a few years old. And like maybe I'm going over there to talk to Michael Green or some, someone like that. And they have this big aquarium. And I look and they only just have fish. Just fish. And I get kind of annoyed like put an amphibian or a crustacean in there or something, you know. Come on. It's a variety. So anyway, when I was uh, I think fifth grade, I got a 20-gallon tank for my birthday. And I don't know why my dad agreed to this. It's not like we had, like, a ton of money, but he did. And I, uh, I don't know how many weeks it took me to locate all these creatures, but I put the following in this 20-gallon tank, and I had to write them down because there's so many. 
I put a couple tetras, those like little fish. I think they're, you can even feed them to stuff. A loach. I don't know if you know what that is. Looks like an eel with a bunch of whiskers. An actual real freshwater eel. A real live freshwater puffer fish. You took it out of the water, it started blowing up. Upside down catfish. It would swim upside down the whole time. A newt, a frog, multiple ghost shrimp, a fiddler crab, two clams, a few snails. I think that's about it. Oh, a blind cave fish. Didn't have eyes. Just swam around. It survived. But I just would sit there and just stare at this wonderland of the diversity and they're just being fish and crustaceans, and they're just doing their thing. I'd done it. Like, I felt like I, what a wonderful thing. We'll, we'll find out later what happens to that in, in two weeks. But why this account? Um, a big tank of the same or closely similar creatures is not so interesting. And I think neither is a church. So in the text today, we're going to see an account of a body of believers working wonderfully together, all doing their part, what they need to do to not only survive, but also thrive. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. Let me give you a little bit of context here, though. Um, So if you recall, the Jewish authorities are applying pressure to this to this fledgling church. And in recent memory, 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2 were added to the 120, and they're having precious community together, as shown in Acts chapter 2. Undergoing persecution in Acts 4.31, it says they prayed together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, let's jump into Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, I have three questions, as usual, that I think that are going to guide us through this passage. One, what does it mean to be of one heart and one mind or soul? So I think we need to we need to dive into that because I think that's probably one of the most powerful aspects of this passage. Two, is this text prescribing communism? Right, and I'm not trying to make this into a political thing, but. Is this describing communism? And three, why this seemingly random mention of Barnabas here in the passage? So those three questions. 
So let's go to the first question. What does it mean to be of one heart and one mind or soul? So the text tells us that they shared all things in common, okay? Um, we're just going to assume, let's just assume, let's give, give me a charitable read and just say, we'll trust you right now that the text is not prescribing communism and just jump into the one heart, one soul part. So in the Greek, they use the term cardia for heart and suke for uh, mind or soul. And so cardia is often used, uh, we translate it as heart, but it, also, it, it often is used to point to the very center of our being, who we are, our heart. And suke here is used as basically, I think, idiomatically to represent when they're of one mind, it means that they have you know, one mindset. So in short, to be of one heart and of one mind or soul means that they had a uniform focus on Christ that orients all that they do, think, and say. That sounds rather beautiful. And we see this, this uniform focus that the church represents here. We see places in the Bible, we see places in the theology trying to push us to this focus. Not only on an individual level, but corporately as well. Okay? So, again, there's places in the Bible, there's places in theology that want to push us to this focus on an individual level and a corporate level as well. It's just so important. It's crucial. In fact, so one of the places, the Ten Commandments. I think a few summers ago, we we did a series on the Ten Commandments. Well, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, the, the positive flip side of that is, take me as your God. And this is not, they didn't, God didn't just randomly put these commandments. There's, a, there's an order to them. And there's, the, there's a reason that this is the first commandment. This says, do this. This is the most important. In fact, you can't obey commandments 2 through 10 if you don't do it in the spirit of this. Doing it for me. Taking me as your God. That's one. The Westminster Catechism asks the following. Question one. This is, this is how it begins. What is the chief end of man? And woman. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him fully forever. Now these, what's the relationship between glorifying God and enjoying him fully forever? Well, they're actually two sides of the same coin. Glorifying God is heads, but the flip side of that is you will have more peace, happiness, joy. It doesn't say any, it doesn't mean that life is going to objectively go better, but you will see it, you will frame it better. You will frame it in a more important light, the cor- not only individually, but corporately. I, always, I also like the bumper sticker. So there's, there's plenty of places that... Have you ever heard, seen the, the clever little bumper sticker? No God, N-O. No God, no peace. K-N-O-W. No God, no peace. Yeah, think about it for a while. It'll land. Oh, it's rough in here. Um, life experience will tell you 
that the times in where, you, where you've made God, when you're been, you've been all about God, and the people around you are all about God, things will happen, bad things might happen, but man, they just rattle your cage. And you can think back to times in your past when those things would have just knocked you out. I have a little, I, I have a, a little bit of a, a test of myself. Where is my focus? How's my focus doing? And at least for me, when I start becoming easily offended, I know my focus is off. I come out of a meeting at work, and I'm like irritated, or I feel like, I think, I think, I think, they, meant, I think they meant a slight at me because of what they said. And I start thinking about it, maybe through lunch, or, or something like that. That's usually my indication that my focus is off. Because I'm worried about defending at least who, who my God is right now, me. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote. I, 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 can't, I can't preach without giving a quote from C.S. Lewis. Sorry. But he has a quote. Put first things first. And second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both first and second things. This church realizes their focus is on Christ. That's what they're about. So we need to work on focus, and all things should follow. Uh, Accountability groups. Those are good. Those are good. It's good to have accountability groups. But, you know, I think instead of perhaps focusing on certain sins, I think, t- I think if we tend to just focus on the Lord, most things will take care of themselves over time. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes you, ha- you and others have to, to sort of gather around and, and, and really, really hammer at a particular sin hard that's just being really disruptive. But for the most part, you keep, your, keep first things first, and usually second, third, fourth things fall in line. So, I think the principle here is to be unified requires a uniform focus on Christ. Right? But, and I'm putting a caveat, and this caveat's not really in the text, but I think the caveat is found elsewhere in Scripture Do not mistake a uniform focus, however, for uniformity. And so I just want to briefly go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just briefly. So humor me. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 4. And again, I think we assume a uniform focus here. But here we we see where uniformity is, is not desired. Or a certain, a certain type of uniformity is not desired. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge. According to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, 
to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And you've, you've heard this enough from up here, not only from me, but from other pe- people that preach. Paul never envisioned, Paul never envisioned um, lone wolf Christianity. It's, it's not even considered. We're all part of a body. Um, the movement, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I mean, yeah, it's, it's people, people are messy. And it's probably easier, maybe peace, more peaceful to go on a Sunday morning, go to Starbucks, sit there, read your Bible, listen to a podcast, something like that. Yeah. It's not, it's not the growth. In fact, I do worry about people that don't actually, aren't engaged in a church and claim to be Christians. Because, going back to my earlier metaphor, it's kind of like if you have a creature in the, in the tank, aqua creature in the tank that gets out and can live outside the tank, well, that's not an aquatic creature. It's a land animal. Those are boring. They're not, they're not. So, to be unified requires a uniform focus on Christ, but not uniformity. Not not uniform in the same sense that we all have to do the same thing and think the same way, but we all do have the same focus. So, and I think there is application here. Uh, The local church must work hard on an individual and corporate level of keeping our focus on Christ. I think we need to regularly go to something outside of the Sunday service, like hub group, or a Wednesday night prayer, or a weekly hub group. And also, I think, I think one of the things that we need to do is stop compartmentalizing our lives. So, it's hard to have a focus on Christ if you consume media, listen to music, and do activities that you would be embarrassed or would never do with church folk. You know what I mean? Do you, prayer or, do you pray or read regularly? That's another way to keep our focus on Christ. And now the church leadership does have, they do have our responsibilities of equipping the saints. If you go to Ephesians 4, that's, that's one of the charges of leaders of the church. And so for those of you that are, are, are newer to the church or, or maybe you've, you've been around for a while and, and, you're, uh, and you, you want to jump in and get, get involved, and I, I, I pray that you do, go talk to Kevin Zydema. We have an elder that's that is set apart just strictly for helping you to get involved and helping you find out where your place in the church body is. So I encourage you to do that. What is more, the more you hang around, the more you will be known, and the more your gifts will stand out. So, well, let's talk about the next question, is this prescribing communism? So I'm going to read, I'm going to read uh, 32 through 35 again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that, they, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, 
and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So, verses 32 and 34 seem to indicate that literally everyone was unloading their properties. It seems that way. However, the next chapter sort of disabuses us of this fact, and we see that it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't as perfect as, you know, maybe it seems initially here. Maybe, maybe Luke was being a little bit of a hyperbolic, being a li- little bit of, you know, for literary purposes, you know, being a little bit of exaggerative, which is, which is, will happen sometimes in the text. Also, the text, it says, um, let's see here. It said, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Well, brought, it actually, in the Greek, it's were bringing, an imperfect verb. So it's not like it happened all at once. They were sort of doing it over time. Okay? Some of you may think, hmm, is this irresponsible of them? And no, Luke seems to think, indicate, well, Luke indicates it's a very good thing. He's, he's commending them for this. Um, these are challenging times, and persecution is afoot. And who knows what the needs are? People may not be able to be working. Um, people aren't buying their goods. Who knows? Who knows? But it's not like people with a cardboard sign hear, heard some singing, walk in, and then 10 minutes later are walking out with a big bag of loot of money. Or someone, uh, you know, who's, you know, 30 payments behind on their Ferrari comes in roaring in and like, oh yeah, good. And the, and the church is just a bunch of enablers. No, they, they said it at the feet of the apostles, and I'm sure the apostles discerned through things. So what we see is not mandated communism. It's just radical generosity. I think when people focus on where their focus should be, you're going, to have, you're going to have people in the church taken care of. People are not forking over their houses and households for the greatest, and, and fields for the greater populace even. Right? In uh, Acts chapter 4, even in James, they're making sure that you're focused on your church, your church body. They're not talking about the greater world. Now, we do have an obligation to the greater world, but these texts are not talking about those. We could go to other texts that talk about our obligation to those outside. But here, it's, it's, it's just not an indication of communism, but it is an indication of what a powerful witness the early church had to have to the outside world. Just a powerful witness. So it is showing the results of the uniform focus. This result is, is much corporate fruit, including a powerful witness to the outside world. Great grace was upon them all, and these were changed individuals living in a beauty, beautiful body. Um, I've said this up here before, uh, but in 2007, Megan and I huddled together, came to Grand Rapids, didn't know a soul. And I remember we, I think we reasoned out that we're going to, it's going to, we're going to take a year and not join a church. Well, after a while, we're like, 
we need friends and like community. <laughs> and so, so uh, one, one, of the, one of the things that struck us here is, one, obviously, the friendliness of the church, great pastors, wonderful pastors, and they had good wives. So, and, uh, but here's, here's another thing that just like really sealed the deal over time. Like, I knew that if anything ever happened to me, like, they would be taken care of. I also knew that if my kids, if, like, if, if we had kids, and, like, they would, they would be taken care of as well. They would be given good guidance. I also realized, and I think this was at, you know, we were just at the beginning of marriage, and this was not a concern, but I, but I just knew and I saw it in real life. If this, this church keeps people accountable for their marital vows, that's important. That's, and we, we sign up for membership pretty quickly. So. But we are not all perfect in this church. We're not. But we do try. We do try. Who has ever ridden in or used Kathy Murray's van? Yeah? Huh? Some of you are liars. You've used it. I pulled up this morning in Kathy Murray's van. Man, she's always amazed me. Like, I am, Lacey, we've had this conversation before. Who, who would be better at playing the game? How bad could it get? I'm pretty good. I don't know. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And, like, I would be driving away, like, in her van, and I'm thinking, I always feel like I'm one step away from financial ruin. Like, you know, uh, this happens and that happens. And, uh, I mean, I'm, like, I'm great. She's just so, but, like, just being around her, like, it's just so, like, you know, uh, she's just like this all the time. And, I mean, it's kind of helped. It's helped me being around Kathy, you know. Um, talking with the leads, my goodness. I, I really hope some of you got to talk with Jack and Bev leads. Man. Just, I mean, we've, they've been here longer than we have. And, I mean, what a, what, a nice, what a nice place to continue to minister. I mean, Jack and Bev were completely integrated in this church. Now they have to go off to another, another place, get to know people yet again. But if you talk to them, there was, there was no bitterness. There was just, hey, he said, this is just, Bev and I have talked, and this is just, the next adventure. And I was like, oh, like I have just, I have so much to learn. That just seems, uh, but it's such a great, such a great image. Such a great example. So, and you've seen that I'm using example, examples from the church. And I think that that's why Barnabas is thrown in here, right? This is why Barnabas, why the seemingly random mention of Barnabas right here? Well, let's actually look at the text real quick. Thus Joseph, so this is verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here we have Barnabas. A, uh, he, his, his nickname is Barnabas. There's some, 
If you really care, you can get into some commentaries and they'll argue like, how in the world does Barnabas stand for son of encouragement? We don't care right now, but it's neat if you like a... Yeah, anyway. Um, he's a Levite. There is some question. Uh, aren't Levites not supposed to have land? Native of Cyprus, he sold a field. He gave the proceeds to the apostles. And here's the interesting thing about Barnabas and why he is called son of, son of encouragement. He is the one sent to the new church in Antioch to check everything out. We're going to see that. All right? Galate, uh, Acts 12.24 says this, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Isn't that a great epithet for your tombstone? If that's just all it said and it was true? For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's great. Um, I remember uh, one time, you all know who A.W. Tozer is? A.W. Tozer. Uh, back before we had kids, I was better at the, uh, better with dates, but I would have these thematic dates sometimes with Megan. And one day we, we went to Dollar Burgers, and then we got on our bikes and rode to a cemetery. And I don't know what you thought I was going to do at the cemetery, like read you a poem or something. I don't know. That's not really my style. But we, we, were, we were studying A.W. Tozer, in our, in, our, uh, in our Sunday school class. And A.W. Tozer is buried in Akron, Ohio, of all places. And on his, on his tombstone, it just says, A.W. Tozer, man of God. That's it. Not author of tons of books, uh, pers- person that has edified thousands and thousands of Christians. No, it just says, man of God. You know? And what else better can you say about Barnabas? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. In Galatians and throughout the first half of Acts, you will see his impressive character. He is not a perfect man. It does not portray him as a perfect man. But he's good. He's a good dude. Good guy. He's called an apostle in Acts 14.14. 14. And he's the one that takes Paul under his wing. Everyone else may be a little bit wary of Paul. But Barnabas goes and gets him. And you see in the text, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then you start seeing Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. He was okay to step back and let Paul run with his gifts. That's cool. Um, In fact, one commentator said that he thinks that Barnabas is one of Luke's main heroes in the text. Yeah, Peter's there, he's awesome, and he's first half of Acts, then Paul, but Barnabas sort of weaves his way through and pops up every now and then. But why is Barnabas here? Exemplars are always needed. Exemplars are always needed. And there is a difference between practice and theory, and sometimes you just got to see it done, right? You can read a book on swimming, but you got to just jump in the pool. Same thing with driver's ed. That's, yeah, driver's ed. My goodness, for, for those of you that are helping your children drive right now, good work. Keep, I'm not looking forward to that. 
You need people forging the exemplar path in different areas like Barnabas did. So let me continue on just pointing out some exemplars. And these are just people, these are people just sort of just random. But I had a lot to, and I don't want to feel bad about going, and I didn't, there's a lot of you here. Um, Who has ever had help with their car from Michael Green? Yeah! Amen. He uses those tools like they're an extension of his body. It's impressive. Jim Seitz with Gary Nichols and so on and so on. With house, car, I mean, you name it. Jody Bruno, Dana Scott, the Sturmans, Simonises, and others just honoring the images of God in children. Children with needs. Bob Knapp, Shirley, Colleen, just people who are, even those, those images of God that are in prison, just giving honor to them and just being a great example of changing your heart towards the imprisoned. I honestly don't know who gives what at this church. I kind of like that. Um, but this is a generous, this is a generous body. In fact, I think when, when we, when we got to go get a loan, approval for a loan for this out there, I think the belief that the bank was in a little belief by the size of our church, how much they claimed our offering was. I think that's good. We are not perfect, you know. We're not perfect. We, we, have de- we definitely have weak spots. You know, one of the, one of the reasons we've, uh, we're excited to bring Jake Tibby in, you know, we need to get better evangelism. And also he's shown us uh, we, we can get better in prayer, too, in a lot of other areas. And we've never, we've never prayed for Muslims from March 22nd on in, in here. We're good, and we're trying. We just got to keep our focus and keep those exemplars in front of us. And there are many in this church. Uh, There's just so many other names I could have put. But yeah, being unified requires a uniform focus on Christ, but not uniformity. The result is much corporate fruit, including a powerful witness to the outside world. Exemplars needed.